We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. We're recapping the 2020 NFL Draft on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. The 2020 NFL draft is in the books. I thought it was really exciting. Uh, Matt, it seems like you may have been a little miffed with some of the things that transpired, but overall, how did uh, all of your bets go in this draft? Uh, was I miffed? I, I don't know if I was miffed, but, uh, yeah, I mean the, well, I think you might've been a little miffed by what happened at the end of the first round, oh, which we're going to spend yeah. a lot of time talking okay, about. Yes. Uh, but I just, yeah, I, I kind of forgot all about that. Cause I was, uh, yes, I, I had the under on 0.5 running backs. Uh, so obviously Clyde Edwards Hilaire going at number 32 ruined that bet. Uh, and I wasn't yep. wise enough to, uh, to take him to be the first running back off the board. So didn't win there, but, uh, exciting about what he might be able to do, uh, with Kansas city. I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but yeah, it was a, uh, yep. it was a fun draft and, uh, you know, a lot of the betting went well. I was able to get in, you know, early on in the process for uh, pretty decent odds on Burrow and Chase Young and, uh, Jeff Okuda to go one, two, three, and, uh, had the ticket on rugs, uh, a couple of tickets on rugs to be the, uh, first wide receiver drafted. So 
that went well. Um, you know, hit a good number of the overs and unders in terms of draft position. So yeah, uh, pretty good uh, draft process. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we have a lot to get through. What I want to do is just make our way sequentially throughout the draft, looking at the players at the fantasy uh, offensive positions. Before we do that, though, was there anything that really stood out to you from a defensive perspective that surprised you or you think that's particularly noteworthy? <laughs> no, I, I don't talk defense. No. <laughs> okay. All right. So before we get into all of the outcomes from the draft, let's take a quick minute to hear a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events and games and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. If you are missing the NFL, no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Con. Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. I also want to mention for those of you that listen to the Rotoviz Overtime podcast with Sean Siegel and Colin Kelly, probably one of the single best shows, uh, fantasy football podcasts out there. If you listen to that, you know, but if you have not yet, listen to them you need to do so they are nearing their 100th episode of the show and to mark the occasion the rotoviz radio podcast network is giving away 10 one month subscriptions to rotoviz.com if you're already subscribed we will add it to your subscription if you aren't signed up yet you will get a one month subscription all you have to do is rate a review of the rate or review the podcast on your podcast app and on one of the upcoming podcasts uh, you could also retweet a podcast uh, of the radio of the Rotoviz radio Twitter feed. Uh, more retweets equals more entries. Anyways, they'll uh, be picking from those different methods. Uh, a couple of winners on shows upcoming uh, in the next week or two. So definitely check that out and listen to Rotoviz over time. Also, uh, a reminder that Rotoviz radio listeners can receive 10% off of a one-year Rotoviz subscription by applying the discount code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's different than things have been in the past. So if you want to get all of our draft, post-draft coverage, NFL content leading up to the season with 10% off, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to go to Rotoviz, then you're going to go to select a one-year Rotoviz subscription and apply the discount code 2020RV radio at checkout. Okay, that is all behind us. Now, Matt, I have been looking forward to talking to you about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for a couple of days now. I'm going to preface this conversation by reminding people Edwards-Hilaire is an interesting prospect in that we really only have one season of extremely robust production, which came in his junior year. Tremendous receiver, racked up a lot of receptions at LSU. However, was not that fast of a player at the combine, a speed score of 92, something that we don't like to see. However, if you went into the combine explorer, you looked at his athletic comparables. He had some of the best matches of the entire class in his combine explorer 
comps. If you look at the box score scout, which is looking more so at the production that he accumulated at LSU, he also had a number of really interesting comps, a great crew of guys. And then you add in this first round draft position and there are a lot of nice matches in there. So he's a player that doesn't normally look like the player that's going to be the first off the board, especially not in a class that is as strong as this one. However, he goes to Kansas City, which is a location some would argue might be the easiest for running back to flourish in. Perhaps it's the best landing spot that any back in this class saw. So I can see the excitement around that. I do think, though, it's fair to question if he is the unanimous or should be a consensus 101, given the other backs that we saw in this class, like Jonathan Taylor, who we at the site, many of us had him at the 101, thought he was easily the best product, uh, best prospect, goes to the Colts. You have Akers in a good spot, Dobbins in a good spot. Having said all of that now, Matt, to kind of frame this, where do you lie on this Edwards-Hilaire to the Chiefs move? Do you think that he is and should be locked in at the 101? Is there even a conversation? And how good can he be for Andy Reid and the Chiefs? So I think we kind of have to separate two things, like the decision-making. Like, uh, one, I never think it's really great business to draft a running back in round one. Um, but, uh, Hey, I mean, Andy Reed, he's the champ. <laughs> like he knows what he likes. Uh, he's like, you know, he just won a super bowl. He's in totally, uh, DJF mode and he sees a running back that he wants and he's just going to go grab him. And, uh, I think it would have been better to grab a defensive player. I think, uh, you know, that's still the area of weakness on the team. Uh, and they, they certainly could improve there. And I think that would give them a better chance of, you know, winning championships year in and year out, but whatever, uh, from a fantasy perspective, I really like the fit. Um, even before the draft, the guy that in my, uh, player profile write up, the guy I was, uh, writing, uh, about and comping Edwards, uh, Edwards layer two was Brian Westbrook. Um, and like, you know, obviously it's now the, the perfect comp. Uh, I think he's going to get the full Brian West uh, Westbrook treatment, except he's um, younger and has more draft capital behind him and, you know, played at uh, LSU instead of Villanova. So uh, there's a lot to like about him. I think he's the number one. Um, I think there are some questions about all of the other guys, and certainly there are questions about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, um, just in terms of like the physical profile. But, you know, as you mentioned earlier, his physical comps are actually pretty decent, even though like he's not the most athletic of guys. And even though he's not, uh, he's not fast, he's explosive. He had like near elite jumps. And, you know, when you watch him play, he's just got like a lot of quote unquote wiggle. And um, I think he's going to get a lot of usage, even if he doesn't get as much usage as you'd want him to in year one. I think he's still going to get a lot of receiving production, which counts for a lot. And then I think by year two, he's going to be the guy like Damian Williams is on a one year contract uh, and Edwards Alaire is a first rounder. Like he's he's the guy I, I have him as a, you know, as a locked in one on one. OK, so I, I struggled to come around to that. Uh, one of the reasons being that there's so much excitement about him landing in Kansas City. However, though, I, I think that we did have to question, is he that much better than Damian Williams that he can entirely phase out Williams in year one? Of course, Williams isn't going to be there in the long term, so it's only an impact in the short term. 
But the reason I ended up slating him into my 101 in my rankings, even though personally on some of the teams I have, I, if I'm playing for the longer term, would go with Jonathan Taylor. The reason is I think that the amount of value that he has now accrued purely by landing in Kansas City is so much greater than any of these other backs that it kind of solidifies him. So it doesn't necessarily matter how good I think he is or what my valuation of him is. His value has now just become so great in Dynasty that you can't really look past that. Well, okay, so wait a minute. But it sounds like you're saying the market value uh, is so great that you have to take him at the 101. One, I don't know actually if I agree with that, just in terms of like the premise of it. I, I think you're right that like valuation wise, he is the 101. But two, it sounds like you're saying that from a uh, like implied value perspective or like inherent value, you think that Jonathan Taylor is going to provide more fantasy points over the next, I don't know, five, eight, 10 years than Clyde Edwards Alaire will. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, uh, you, you might be right about that. It's, it's hard. I mean, obviously it's hard to know. I think Edwards Alaire will actually provide more fantasy points because I think with his style of play, he will probably last longer. Okay. Um, that's fair. So just to get a better sense then of, of where you are on Edwards Alaire, and I know we've talked about him in the past, but, um, let's say that he had landed on a different team. Let's say that he had gone to the Colts, right? Let's say that you swapped the two. Then how different of a dichotomy would we be looking at? Okay. So let's, let's frame this in a couple of different ways. One, if Edwards Alaire lands with the Colts, but he's still a first rounder, he's still the number one. Right. Okay. Like to me. So the, the draft capital means a lot. Um, if he's with the Colts, but he's a second rounder, and uh, Jonathan Taylor is a second rounder with another team, then I would probably go with Jonathan Taylor. Um, I might even go with someone else as the the number one if all of these other things are even. If Jonathan Taylor somehow, and if Andy Reid looked at Jonathan Taylor and said, I like that guy as a second round pick, I think he can work on my team, then Jonathan Taylor would be the number one. Okay, got it. So I guess like, my feeling is that Jonathan Taylor will have, um, like in the long term, has more value, will score more fantasy points. I don't know though, like if I feel extremely strongly about that. Um, but I guess what I was struggling with more is I think some people have the perception that there's no question about it that Edward Hilaire is going to absolutely smash in Kansas City. <laughs> Yeah. I just don't know if that's as concrete of um, a thing <laughs> as everybody makes it out to be. Yeah. Like, I understand Damian Williams has had some ridiculous games um, for the Chiefs, which a lot of people might want to say is just a product of playing in Kansas City. And to a large extent, I do think that as long as you have a requisite level of talent, you put a running back in a good offense, they are going to perform very well. Yes, Hilaire is probably a better player than Damian Williams. Um but just playing in Kansas City, does that really guarantee that you're going to be scoring 20 fantasy points a game? I just don't know if in his case that's true. Like, okay. I think like maybe maybe it doesn't guarantee that he scores 20 fantasy points per game. But if you go from Deuce Staley in 1999 yep. all the way to Damian Williams last year, we have a, a very long two decade sample uh, that suggests that. For the most part, 
whoever Andy Reid evaluates as being worthy of being his lead back is probably someone who's highly investable. Yep. And even if Clyde Edwards Lair doesn't smash, which I think he's going to smash, but even if he doesn't, I think he has a really high floor. Like I think we we have a sense of what he's able to do and then you can kind of project that to Andy Reid's offense based on the types of running backs he's had. Like you have a really good sense of how they're going to use Edwards Lair and that gives him a really high floor. Jonathan Taylor, like he's probably going to be really good in the NFL, but I think there's less certainty with his projection. Right. Yeah, I think that's all fair. So like I said, I do ultimately end up with Edwards Hilaire at my 101. And I mean, that's not just all based on the on the market valuation. Some that does go back to the fact that if Andy Reid is taking this guy in the first round, that really has to count for something. You add that in with the history. And even if he isn't actually Brian Westbrook, excuse me, Brian Westbrook or LaShawn McCoy from a talent perspective, that might not matter, especially when you consider the offense he's going to be playing in. Um, so like, I, I certainly understand it. And like I said, I ended up with him at the one one I just don't know if I perceive there to be as, as much of a difference between him and the other backs in the class as some people might think. David, here, here's a question. Yep. What if he's better than Brian Westbrook? If he's better than Brian Westbrook, then yes, we are probably looking at, um, a pretty ridiculous outcome for him. So I get it. I get the upside. Um, like Andy Reid thinks he's better than Brian Westbrook. Like he he projects better than Brian Westbrook in that like he basically is Westbrook, but he's two years younger. So here's one thing I would push back on, right? Do we really know? And, and let me finish this thought. Do we really know that Andy Reid thinks he's better than Brian Westbrook? The draft capital, you can go to do saying, well, he used a first rounder on him, right? But I think that this Kansas City team is in a very different position than a lot of teams where, and yes, they certainly had needs on defense. So that kind of uh, is a counter argument to what I'm getting at. But I think that they have a little bit more leeway with this team than you would with most. So perhaps we can't extrapolate the fact that he does value him higher than Westbrook. Okay, so um, here's what I'll say. Yep. Uh, actually, it doesn't have to do with uh, draft capitalization. Okay. It has to do with literally what he said okay. after they drafted him. But, um, you know, they might say that about any given player yep. because it's, you know, they, they're in the heat of the moment. So maybe he doesn't actually think that Clyde Edwards Alaire is better than Brian Westbrook. There could be some recency bias in that. But he did literally say uh, he's better than Brian Westbrook. <laughs> okay. So, um, all right. I will I will concede it then. Anyways, um, well, so let's just close on Edward Tiller with this. How far off base do you think I am in the level of questioning that I have here about this, about, uh, you know, how sure of a slam dunk we should view him to be? I don't think it's um, I don't think you're off base because like there are questions about all of these guys. Yep. Um, I just I don't know, like. We can we can kind of use this as a springboard into the questions about the other guys. So, you know, if it's Jonathan Taylor, um, you know, I think in the short term, there are some questions about what his workload will be in year one. Yep. Uh, but then there are the longer term questions about his receiving ability. Like if you dig more into the numbers, he actually is a net negative in the passing game. Like I know he had more 
more passing production this past year, but it was because he was targeted so much and he was really inefficient with his targets. Uh, Cam Akers, you could look at, you know, the questions about uh, the offensive line he's going to, um, you know, whether that offense will be as good moving forward as it has been in the past. DeAndre Swift, I mean, massive concerns with the Lions and the potential workload he might have there. Uh, And then, of course, J.K. Dobbins, he's not going to be the lead back right away and he's, you know, a little bit smaller I mean, all of these guys have questions, but I think um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has the fewest questions. Okay, yeah, that's perfectly fair, Um, especially when I go back to the fact that I do really believe that in many instances, the overwhelming majority for running back, it's more important where they're playing than their talent once you get beyond a certain threshold. So I'll just say he's... I don't want to overthink this. He's a he's a 21 year old first round running back. Yes. Like I'm just I'm not you know yeah. I'm I'm not not going to take that guy number one. All right. All right. Perfectly fair. So do you want to since we've now spent so much time at the running back position, kind of switch up the plan and then just go more in depth on these other running backs or continue? To yeah. Just... Let's stay, let's stay at running okay, back. Let's, let's, talk let's stay at running guys. back. So we've mentioned Taylor. Um, you know, from the offensive line perspective, the Colts have a terrific offensive line. Um, I think that Taylor's presence really kind of forces Marlon Mack out of the equation to the point where, oh, yeah. um, you know, his value has completely tanked. Naheem Hines, I expect to be the one that plays the larger role in the receiving game. But with how good that offensive line is, I think things do look really good for Taylor immediately. Uh, it sounds like you might be on board with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Marlon Mack still has some value this year. Uh, you know, more value this year than he's going to have after that. I think he's pretty much like a, a dead man walking, where there's like an expiring contract on him, and like you know when he's going to run out. But I do think he will see probably more carries this year than people might anticipate. Um, I don't know. Like they just they might not want to give like their their number one running back as a rookie, you know, in like the coronavirus context where he doesn't know the offense as well, they might not want to give him as many snaps. Uh, and so, you know, they have this veteran there. Uh, they can use him while uh, while Taylor acclimates to the NFL. You know, I like, I don't think he's going to get 60% of the carries. Yep. Like, I think it's going to be split a little more evenly. Uh, and so that's, you know, one thing that gives me a little bit of concern. And then like for the future, I don't know how much this does or doesn't factor in, but I think rivers is pretty much a, a one year deal type of guy. And maybe that offense really isn't even all that good this year with him, but like there are significant concerns about who's going to be the quarterback. And if that offense isn't good, I mean, ultimately what matters most with a running back is if he's getting the carries. But if his offense isn't good, that's really going to impact the number of touchdowns he has the opportunity to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is also a concern. Yeah. So I think one thing that you can to can point to that's encouraging is last year, Marlon Mack um, did get 20 carries a game, only like one and a half um 
I forget, honestly, I should know this. I forget if it was receptions or targets, which makes a big difference. Um, but, you know, not as high of a workload as you might think in the receiving game and still managed to get to around 13 and a half points per game. So if there is a progression for the Colts, which I think you should anticipate some of that making the change from Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers, positions Taylor to at least be an RB2 in this first year. And then perhaps you can say, given that the team was able to do this with Jacoby Brissett, if Rivers is a one-year thing, it might not be as big of a deal. Um, I don't know if everybody else would view that as providing them with some optimism, but I think it stands for something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just there's uncertainty there. I'm a little more pessimistic. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, the next back off of the board was DeAndre Swift, who did you actually end up with him remaining as your uh, RB one heading into the draft? Yeah, he was my RB1 heading into the draft, and now uh, certainly not. Uh, and like, I think I'm lower on him now, just in terms of like the overall board, than most people are. Yep. Like, maybe I have him still stacked in like the right running back order, just in terms of where he ranks, like more or less. But you know, like, he's still 21. He's still an SEC producer. There are lots of things to like about him. But he's a second rounder, and there were you know five 21 year old first round wide receivers who went off the board. And he's in a really unstable situation. It's just, it's harder for me to move him higher up in the first round when I'd rather just invest in some of these wide receivers. Okay. Yeah. So you answered the, the question where I was going to hear, because for me, Swift fell back to RB five. I still think that there's a lot of compelling arguments you can make. If you have picks one through four that you're going with a running back. Uh, but with Swift, I don't think it's as clear cut of a, um, a, a pick at all compared to what we would have expected maybe heading into the draft, given some of the landing spots for the wide receivers. But let's just focus on Detroit for a second. You have Swift and Carrion Johnson there. Do you think that we do see a split between those two backs? Or do you think that the fact that they went for Swift in round two signals, there is something that they're very concerned about with Carrion and do not want to have to rely on him to any degree? Man, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm sure you know the answer to this, but do you know who the last uh, 21-year-old second-round running back to be drafted was? I don't. Bef- before uh, before DeAndre Swift, it was Kerryon Johnson. Oh right, right. And, and like, crazy thing, and they they look, are they they're identical. They are. Yes. So like in the, yeah. you might have seen this, but in the yes. box score scout that we have, literally when you plug them in, you get Kerryon Johnson as like a 98% match to uh, DeAndre Swift. I know. So it's it's a real question as to whether they drafted Swift to to replace Johnson or basically just to replicate him because they wanted two Johnsons. Uh, and my fear is that we're not going to see a really clean uh, lead back situation. I think they're going to split the load fairly evenly. And maybe it's a situation where even Johnson is the lead back and or Johnson is more of the runner and they use Swift as sort of like a super Giovanni Bernard type of player. Um, and like, that's fine. Like Giovanni Bernard had, you know, 1200 yards his first three years, you know, like per season, like that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but like, that's not something I want to target in round one. Yeah, I definitely hear that. And I think that 
in my opinion, Swift probably projects as the stronger prospect. I still think that carry on is, is a very good back. Uh, it's hard to make a com- or hard to get a complete picture given the injury in 2019. It'd be nice to have those two seasons to look at, but do you think that it, I mean, I do that it's possible that Johnson is actually better than Swift. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, so like, I just don't even want to, I don't even want to have to deal with it. Like, I don't want to have to disentangle all of the questions there. So I don't know. I'm just going to go with a wide receiver if one of those guys is available and Swift is there. Yep. So we actually had kind of jumped the gun. Jonathan Taylor, I'm assuming everybody listening to the show knows, actually went at 41 to the Colts. Then after him, we see a super interesting player here in Cam Akers at 52 going to the Rams. We'll be completing with Daryl Henderson, who though I had Henderson as my RB1 heading into last year's draft, um, I, I think that I immediately in my mind slate Akers ahead of him. Should be interesting to see how that competition goes. I think overall for Akers, this is a pretty good landing spot. It's nice to see him go in round two. I'm pretty excited about his potential. Of course, there are concerns about the offensive line. However, if anybody knows about playing behind a trash offensive line, it is Cam Akers. So, you know, they say practice makes perfect. Where are you on him, Matt? Um, okay. So my, uh, official rookie rankings are behind the, the paywall at action networking. You can check that out, uh, with the subscription. So I don't want to give away too much, Sure, but I do want to say that, um, I think lots of people have Taylor as the number two uh, or the number one. Um, But I think it's really close between Taylor and Akers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they are kind of similar players. Like they're both big. They're both athletic. Um, Neither one is like all that great of a receiving back. But I I think Akers has a slight edge on Taylor. And I think the big thing is that Akers... um, Akers, I think, is going to be the lead back. I think, like, no question yep. about it. I think he's really going to be the lead back. Um, with Taylor, like, I think he eventually will be the lead back, but I think uh, Akers is going to get there a little bit before him. And um, just based on what Todd Gurley was able to do last year, and, like, based on, like, I still think there's, even though that offense in L.A., uh, backslid a little bit last year. I still think there's like a pretty high level of competence mm-hmm. within that offense that uh, is going to boost Cam Akers. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm really enthusiastic about Akers. Yeah, I am too. I think another thing that doesn't get brought up that much, um, you know, we'll talk about Georgia running backs and what that means. Honestly, to some extent, these Florida State running backs we've seen recently, Dalvin Cook, Devonta Freeman, Chris Thompson, you know, all of the starters that have come through for that team in the last like six, seven seasons have gone on to find some success. And really, if you followed the team, how strong and how good Akers was when he was given opportunity, which he got a fair amount of in his freshman year at FSU, he really looked better than all of those guys. So like we've talked about before, he was the number one recruit coming into uh, college really delivered on that valuation in his first year is surely an NFL talent. So it's going to be interesting. It's possible that he is just as good as any back in this class. So I was excited about that. In comparison to Akers, we have J.K. Dobbins going to the Ravens, a team that ran the ball a lot, 
of course, you know, led the league in rushing attempts. Of course, Lamar Jackson was the recipient of a lot of those carries. Mark Ingram's there. That's going to be something to compete with in the short term. In the long term, this does feel like a decent landing spot for Dobbins. Did you interpret this landing spot the same as I did in that if you felt good about Dobbins heading into the draft, you should still feel pretty good about him exiting the draft? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think there's the kind of longer term question of how long is Mark Ingram there? Um, You know, I think Ingram is still the guy this year. So um, I think Dobbins will replace Gus Edwards and um, replace uh, what was his name? I can't remember. Yeah, replace Justice Hill as kind of like the the turbo number two option. Um, But like, what if Ingram actually sticks around into like the 2021 Mm -hmm. season? Like he's still under contract for that year and like maybe they can, you know, decide to get rid of him after this year and eat the dead money. But like maybe they just like Ingram and they decide to go with him for one more year. So I do like Dobbins. Like I think he has a lot of potential and whenever he becomes the lead back, I think he's going to have, uh you know, like top eight upside. It's just a question as to when that actually happens. And plus, like he's a little bit smaller. Uh, He's, you know. 209 pounds versus like 212 for DeAndre Swift. who's like thicker, like thicker built the same with Clyde Edwards, Lair, who's you know, like thicker, like, I don't know out of, out of the five, like the five top running backs, he's maybe like the like quote unquote frailest of them. Um, and you know, he's, uh, I don't know. Like it's just, he's 22. Like he's the oldest out of them. It's just, it's kind of hard to say that I want to have him above any of the others. But I do like him. Okay, fair enough. So I think that this is actually a pretty good stopping point for us on the running backs. We'll get to AJ Dillon in the rest of the class, perhaps next week, as we'll probably want to talk about some of these highly drafted receivers, those guys in the first round in our second episode of the week you start talking about age and i am looking forward to going head to head with you on Keyshawn vaughn which will probably happen next week um as you've done a lot of um typing pointing out the fact that he's 23 uh sometimes directly it feels like sometimes subtly i do not appreciate the shots at Keyshawn. sorry i mean it's i it's it's a matter of valuation let's honestly let's talk about Keyshawn. all right let's do it yeah let's do it all right so that does close us down for this episode here um as always thanks for tuning in you can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at dave cabin ff and at matt f the oracle thanks to bet online for sponsoring the show make sure to rate review and subscribe and as always remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.